0: In front of your bulletins, you'll see Romans fifteen eight through 13. We'll read it together. I'll start. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order to that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 8 through 13. All right. Thank you, Jose.
1: We are um, getting back into our series on the book of Romans. I would say we are at the beginning of the end. Although, yes, we are... uh, We've been in this series for well over a year now. I think we started last summer. So coming up on a year and a half. So take the beginning of the end as you will. I'm not exactly sure how much longer we'll be in this book, but rightly so, um, because for those of you who, who have been around for any of it, uh, you know that we've talked about how Romans is, is well known for being one of the, uh, the most important books of the Bible. Um, and that, that being so, because uh, it repeatedly lays the foundation um, of our faith, and that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And uh, so, to try and get us back in the, the mode of Romans, sorry, I'm like tripping over stuff, and as my hair gets longer, this thing just keeps getting more and more <laughs> awkward. <laughs> um yeah let's let's focus in on the book of Romans and think about um the first 11 chapters if you remember um Paul kind of repeatedly lays out the foundations of our faith the gospel and uh in Romans one sixteen, is kind of like the thesis statement of the book it, it says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes um and that gospel is this is that God created man and and designed man to have a relationship with him. We were designed in his image. And what I mean by his image is, I think three things really uh, reflect God's image. and, And that's a mind to know God, a heart to love God, and a will to choose God. And each one of us, it started with Adam and Eve, but each one of us, chose to give our heart and choose still to give our hearts and our minds to things other than God Um, and you know these are all good things good things that God gives us they're secondary things but we try and put them in the place of God whether it's our job uh, our family relationships uh, food drink sex any of these things what what Romans says is that we all have taken that thing and and we've tried to squeeze out of it what only God can give us, happiness, um, contentment, satisfaction. And what that results in is is us frantically scrambling and, and trying to, to squeeze out of that uh, something that it can't give. And so, you know, that leads to distortion and sin. And we make a mess of our lives. And, and the sin is a problem, this mess that we've made, because we fall short of God. And God in his perfection can't be close to sin because he's perfect. And so our sin separates us from the loving God who created us and wants us to know him and be in a relationship with him. But God is loving, right? He wants us to be rejoined to him. And he can't just, because he's also just and loving, he can't just sweep our our sin under the rug. He had to make a way uh, for that sin to be atoned for or to be made right. And so that's where Jesus came in. God started a plan to to bring a Messiah or a Savior to mankind. Um, And Jesus became a man. He lived the perfect life that we have all failed to live. Um, And then he gave it on our behalf, dying on the cross, so that anyone, any person who put their faith in Christ um, will receive forgiveness of sin, and Jesus' perfect standing before God the Father. And as I was talking about about one reason why I really like that song is a lot of us think that the gospel kind of ends there. It's like, yes, uh, I, con- I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus was Lord and that God raised him from the dead, and now I got my ticket into heaven, check. Like, all right, back to business as usual. But there's so much more to the gospel that I think we forget then. And as I said before, it doesn't just bring about forgiveness of sins and save us from hell, although it does do that. The gospel empowers us to live a whole new life by the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, and that's the power of his spirit. Um, and Jesus conquered Satan, sin and death by rising from the dead uh, by the power of his spirit, and like Jesus, we receive new life, um, new power, and new purpose. And uh, the uh, the extension of that good news is that life today isn't, Although it's good, although it's a foretaste of of what a, a good relationship with God is like, we're still bound by our, our sin and our flesh. And there's going to be a day when Christ is going to return and we're going to be free from from this mortal body and uh, free to know God and be in relationship with God and with each other and with creation as he originally tended back intended back in the garden. So that's the foundation of the book of Romans. That's the good news that... Um, is just repeated in chapters one through eleven, um, and then in chapter twelve we hit some more practical implications uh, for everyday living. We talked about living life as an act of worship, our love for one another, uh, submission to authorities, and even disputable matters amongst believers. Um, and that kind of brings us to where we where we are today, partway through chapter fifteen, where Paul starts to wrap up the book, as I said, the beginning of the ending. Um, And he's reminding his readers here of God's plan to bring salvation to the ends of the world and to see all people worship him. Um, And so let's look at the passage. It's... um, Even at my first glance of it, I was like, man, this is a little bit confusing. There are some words in here that aren't necessarily uh, used in our everyday language. But uh, if we look at the beginning of the passage in verse 8, it says, um, one sec. uh, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. All right, let's stop right there. That can be confusing. What does it mean to be a servant of the circumcised? First of all, the circumcised is a reference to the nation of Israel or the Jewish people um, in the Old Testament. God gave circumcision as a symbol for them um, so that they could be recognized as set apart as god 's holy people so when When Paul says a servant to the circumcised, he means Jesus came to the to and through the the nation of israel the the Jewish people um, I had another, here's another translation. The uh, New Living Translation says that remember Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. Um, I didn't really stumble upon this translation until after these were printed. Otherwise, I probably just would have printed them out in, in, in that translation. But um, yeah, so Jesus came as a servant to the Jews in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs or to the forefathers of Israel. Um, And uh, verse 9 says, He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Uh, What... Were those promises referred to in, in in chapter eight? I don't know if some of you have probably are familiar with the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant that God made with Abraham. One of the uh, the patriarchs will say of the nation of Israel um, in his covenant, in his promises. Uh, We can see them in Genesis 22. He says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And that last part is kind of where Paul is directing our thoughts here. Uh, In verse 9 he says, In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Paul's reminding his, bigger, uh, his, his readers of the bigger picture that, yes, God's plan for salvation started with Israel, started with the Jewish people, but it was always his intention to bring salvation to the whole world through the blessing of a great rescuer so that he would be glorified through all people. God's goal is to see himself glorified. You know, that seems kind of like a prideful thing for somebody to be like all about themselves. But God is not like us because he's a perfect being. And the best thing that a perfect being could do is make others want to worship him. And so the, in the rest of verse 9, Paul kind of gives examples um, throughout Scripture in the Old Testament of of how God's plan for that is being revealed. And he refers back and uh At the end of verse 9, it says, and again, it is, wait, sorry, I lost my spot. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, meaning all other nations aside from Israel, and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, talking about Jesus there. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So from the beginning, God's plan has been and is still to use his people to share his blessing with others, resulting in all people coming to know and worship him. And through this uh, through this passage, Paul is reminding us of our purpose as believers. We are now God's people. And so it is our, our biggest goal to know God and to make him known. And sadly, many of us have fallen into the trap that of believing God's plan for salvation ends with us. That was never his intention. And I see this mindset when I hear people say that, oh, the Bible is God's love letter to me or to us. I hate to break it to you, but the Bible wasn't written to you, and it's not about you. It's about God and the story of his plan to rescue the world through Christ, Jesus, his son. It all points to Jesus. Old and New Testament alike. The Bible is for all people of all times. It's for us, but it wasn't written to or about 21st century Christians. But here's an exciting part, is that the story is still unfolding, and we get to be a part of it. God's plan for salvation and restoration doesn't end with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the means by which God intends to fill the whole world with his presence and his praise. In Ephesians one twenty-two through 23, it says, talking about Christ, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the church, the people, not the building. We are God's body, Christ's body which he wants to fill everything in every way because his spirit lives in us. And a way that, that I've heard it said that I really like is, is what God has done to you, he also wants to do through you. How is this accomplished? How do we go about making God known? How You might be asking, how am I going to convince someone to believe in Jesus? The answer is you're not. You're not the Savior. I think we like, to, we like to try and put this on ourselves. We're not the Savior. We're not the Savior of our kids, our friends, our spouse, our parents. It's not about us. But we are messengers. We are messengers. In Romans 10, uh, verses 14 through 15, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can anyone tell them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's us. We're messengers who bring good news to the world around us. Do you know? Do you guys know what the word missionary means? Anybody? It literally means sent one. Um, Jesus said, "As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you." Now I think a lot of us uh, have grown up or or have been taught that a missionary, to be a missionary, you have to go to another country or another region. Um, That's just not true. We are all sent ones. Sent to our homes, sent into our schools, sent to your kids' sport teams, sent to the grocery store, gas stations, restaurants, and bars. There's not a single area of our lives as believers that God doesn't want to fill with his presence and make himself known. And So I, I want to encourage us as believers to stop brushing off God's calling on our lives as missionaries. We're not sent out to save people by preaching good sermons or having a really appealing church service or living a really moral life so that people want to be like us. See, the problem is that if we try and save people by simply living really good lives and never speaking about Jesus, it will likely lead to people believing that being a Christian is all about doing good works and not about surrendering our lives to Jesus and letting him come in and change us. Now, Let's be clear here, Uh, letting the gospel be demonstrated by our actions, letting our actions demonstrate the gospel is an essential part of our calling as missionaries, but it's not enough on its own. And we're already doing a lot of these things. I mean, I think of the white family who have adopted um, Judah from South Africa. What an awesome demonstration of God's love and acceptance of us. Scripture uses the analogy of adoption, saying that we've been adopted into God's family so many times. Uh, many of you are serving your neighbor, engaging with people on the fringe, um, all good things. But if we just do those things alone and, and we never speak in the name of Jesus, how will anyone know? After all, the gospel means good news, and you can't do news. You tell news. You share news. Parents, when when you you're doing these things with your kids, and I know many of you are uh, having your kids serve in di- different ways. Talk to them about it. You know, for example, maybe you shovel your neighbor's driveway, um, who's an elderly person. You would talk to your kids, say, "Hey, guys, why do we shovel Miss Anderson's driveway?" And like, um, oh, it's a nice thing to do. We want to take care of our neighbors. Okay, that's true, but. There's more to it than that. How does the gospel speak into why we care for one another? Well, for starters, if, well, if uh, Mrs. Anderson wasn't able to, like, if her driver wasn't shoveled, she would be trapped in her house, right? So she wouldn't be able to get anywhere. Um, And this burden of shoveling snow is really one that's too much for her to bear. You know, kids, that's a lot like what Christ did for us. We were burdened by something that we couldn't bear with our sin. And it trapped us. It does trap us. And only Christ could take that burden on himself and free us from that. And so we're going to be a demonstration to Mrs. Anderson by, by shoveling her driveway. And that right there, that's called gospel fluency. Everything in our lives has the potential to be penetrated by the gospel and to be spoken as to to why we're doing it. Um, if you haven't read the book Gospel Fluency, I would really encourage you to do so. Um, I am certainly not, I wouldn't consider myself a entirely gospel fluent person, but it really changes the way that you look at um, different things and why, why you serve, um, why you live on mission. Um, it's really a powerful and impactful uh, study to do. And to, to kind of give another example of that point, I heard a true story of a guy who, who was a Christian, and it was known around his company that he was a believer, and, um, but he, didn't, he wasn't really in the habit of, of talking about uh, his faith in Jesus to anyone. He was just like, "People know that I'm a Christian, and like, that's enough, and I'm just going to be a good worker and, and a good supervisor." And so one day, he one of his coworkers. I think uh, maybe one of a person that was under him came up to him and said, "Hey, man, like I just want to let you know, like I've surrendered my life to Christ. Like I, I put my faith in, in Jesus." And he was like, "Oh, that's so great. That's so. I'm I'm so happy to hear that." And he said, "Yeah, man. I'm like praise God." But I got to tell you something that um, you were actually kind of a reason w- why I, I didn't want to become a Christian for so for a long time. And he was like, "Oh, well, like he was devastated. Like why why?" what did I do? What did I say? And he was like, well, you know, you're, you're such a good worker and you always have such a good attitude. And, um, you know, you're so, so caring for other people that for the longest time, I just thought, you know, I, I don't think I could ever do that. If it means, if being a Christian means like being a perfect person, like I can't do that. And it wasn't until I realized that it wasn't about our works, but it was, it was about Christ." Doing it all on our behalf, that I understood that I could receive God's love through the grace of Christ, and that's you know that's devastating, really. Like as I was saying, if if we never talk about the grace of God and and our need for a Savior and how um, His grace is the only thing that allows us to to and His Spirit in us is the only thing that allows us to do anything good, we're not giving credit to God. Um we're always communicating a message and we can't assume that an outwardly moral life would make a person realize their need for Jesus if we never speak about him. One of the greatest testimonies that any of us can give is is admitting our failure and admitting who it is that covers that failure and that's Christ. And you can't live a life that demands an explanation of the gospel unless we live a life that's intent on proclaiming it. The good news needs to be heard that if anyone will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the God raised him from the dead, they will be saved, period. Now, let's take a look at how this passage ends in verse 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I think what Paul, Paul is saying is that when we truly begin to grasp and believe the good news of God's love for us in Christ, the joy and the peace that we experience, we, we really won't be able to contain. The hope that is in us will just naturally come out. And uh, if, if you guys have heard me preach before, likely, or if you've read many of my weekly updates that I put out sometime, you've probably heard this next part. But um, it's just that I, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that we love, that we talk about what we love or love speaks um, and that no one needs to be taught to talk about what they love for some of us it's skiing and snowboarding for some of us it's scrapbooking and fixer upper i don't know for some of us it's herbal life and crossfit um i don't know you know maybe there's a person who's quiet and you're trying to like engage in conversation with them and finally you figure out what it is that they're into and they're like they become a really outgoing person all of a sudden we don't have to be taught to talk about what we love right we will always talk about what we treasure and what works. And Jesus says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, and so I don't, I don't think we really need to be training, well, training people how to deliver the gospel. I think if we just teach the gospel and uh, we pray that, that God would stir our hearts with affection for, his love, for him and his love for us, naturally we're just going to be able to speak it. And some of us, if we're honest, we've never really experienced that kind of love for Jesus. So why would we want to talk about something offensive that may be foolishness to us even? And if that's you, I would urge you to seek God in this. God said to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, If you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe he says the same thing to us today. Jesus Said, "Ask and you shall receive; seek, and you will find; knock, and the door will be open unto you." Maybe you feel him drawing to, drawing you to himself to to that today. Excuse me. Don't resist him. Surrender everything to God and accept the grace He has for you for trying to do it all on your own all these years. Cry out to Him; He'll answer you with and he'll receive you with open arms. For other, others of us, we've experienced God God's love, but that love has gone cold. There was a time when your love was on fire for Jesus, and maybe it's gone cold. I'm also convinced that we grow in love and affection for what we talk about most. Have you guys ever... Uh, been in a group of old friends and you got started talking about the good old days and uh, maybe for some of my old college friends we love talking about hiking trips where things almost went really really wrong you know and uh, we'll get in a circle we'll get carried away like oh that was such a great trip and our hearts are stirred with a desire to to get on one of those trips again or to have times with one another like that because what we talk about we're reminded of And when we're reminded of something that we've experienced, our heart is stirred with affection for it. And so, sorry, I lost my place here. I find myself praying less and less for for boldness to speak about Christ and for the right words to say and more and more that my heart would just be stirred with affection for for Jesus more than anything else and i think this is what paul is praying over his readers in verse 13 may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope If you feel that your relationship with God has gone cold, talk about how good Jesus is and what he has done. Remind yourself of what it is that captured your heart in the first place. Regularly and intentionally speaking the truths of Jesus to each other reminds us of his love for us and again stirs our hearts with affection for him. And we're going to do that today. Um, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to be remembering Christ's death, the love that he showed by dying on a cross for us as we take communion. And so a couple of thoughts I have for us in closing is that whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or you're not even sure if God exists, God loves you as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you as you are. You can only live to your greatest potential by first admitting your need for Him and receiving the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it's only when we are fully willing to surrender and admit our need for God that we'll find ourselves being changed by His Spirit and living a life intent on knowing Him and making Him known. So uh, we are going to take communion now and. Uh, Again, this is not a uh, any kind of a magical practice that we do. For some of us, um, it can be uncomfortable, but it's uh, remembering Christ through taking communion is something that He commands us to do in Scripture. Um, he does give us some guidelines. One of which is um, it's reserved for for people who consider themselves followers of Christ. And uh, we do an open communion, meaning we, you don't have to be a member of Loon Mountain Ministry. We don't actually even have members. But um, we would ask that, that you, uh, if you do take, that you um, have that relationship with Christ and that you call yourself his follower. And uh, when I wrap up here, as I pr- after I pray, um, we're just going to make our way back to the back tables. Um, I would encourage you guys to speak the truths of jesus and what the bread and the cup means the the bread is a reminder of christ's body that was broken for us his perfect life for our imperfect life um that he gave willingly uh, because of his love for us and then the the cup is a reminder of his blood his death that he gave for us which is for the remission of our sins um so serve each other back there and uh I'll join you all back there and read some more scripture as we close but talk about Jesus it's our greatest purpose to know God and make him known and uh you know we can't we can't become who God has intended us to do unless we embrace that calling so let's pray father we are just blown away by your love for us Lord we were such a mess Lord and you saw us and you loved us still that you set in motion a plan that began thousands of years ago to bring about a perfect savior and rescuer to earth so that we could be reunited to you And Lord, that plan, that rescue plan, was not without cost to yourself. You gave us your son. He lived that perfect life that we could not live, Lord. And died a painful death, was separated from you on our behalf when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it looked like it was over. It looked like the worst day and it was over but it was the best day because in that moment when Christ said it is finished our sin was paid for and he paved a way for us to be reunited with you. May that truth consume us Lord. May we not only know with our minds but believe in our hearts and experience the love the joy and the peace of knowing the God of the universe and may that hope overflow and abound in us so that we would make your name known to the world around us
0: we love you Lord praise in Jesus name amen